Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The law kept you at a distance from God. Now you and I, it's all about knowing Him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you know the one true God and the Son whom He sent. Jesus said, many will call me Lord, Lord, but I will say away from me for I never knew you. It's about knowing Him. It's about having a relationship with Him. It's about drawing near to God. Ever tried to stick to a New Year's resolution? Probably didn't last too long, did it? If we tried to follow the Old Testament law of Jesus' day, it wouldn't last too long either. Why? Because when we attempt things in our own power and our own effort, we will fail every time. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can truly live righteously before God, accepting His grace and forgiveness when we blow it. Here's part two of Hebrews 7, verses 5 through 28 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. The precedent for the priesthood is Melchizedek. Levi was a temporary introduction into the priesthood and then a return to Melchizedek, a return to the, the king of righteousness priesthood. Okay, so it is a better priesthood and it is the one that has the precedent. It goes on then to tell us the weakness of the law in verse 11. It says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would we have of another priest? That another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be according to the order of Aaron. He says, If perfection came by the Levitical priests, what need would we have of another priesthood? He's pointing out that the Levitical priesthood is imperfect. And he's going to point out in a moment that the entire law was imperfect. It wasn't that the law was bad. It was that it was imperfect. It was weak. It couldn't help you. Now, it, it helped in a way, but it couldn't help completely. For example, I got up this morning. You know, there are, there are some mornings you get up and you're just more wore out than other mornings. Who knows why? And I woke up this morning, and one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is I put my hands on my counter in my bathroom, and I look at myself in the mirror. The older I get, the scarier it is. And I woke up this morning, my eyes are all puffy, and one of them is closed more than the other one, and I'm squinting against the light as I'm looking in the mirror, and I realize, wow, I need a lot of work, okay, as I get ready to go to church. Now, you guys probably do the same thing, don't you? You get up, you got to put contacts in, whatever, you get up, you look in the mirror, and you go, whoa, the mirror is good. Even though the mirror reveals, you're scary. It's good, okay? Because the mirror reveals to you, you need help. But the mirror's weak. It can do nothing to help you. You don't take the mirror off and comb your hair. You don't take the mirror off and try to clean yourself with it. If you did, you wouldn't look anywhere as good as you look right now, okay? You guys instead, you went into the shower, you brushed your teeth, at least I hope you did, and you got all ready, and then you stood back and you went, what is left of me here is now going. Okay? There used to be more of you when you were younger, but what's left, there it is, and now it's going to go. All right? So the mirror is like the law. The law showed you. I, I would not have known not to lie had the law not said don't bear false witness. I would not have known not to steal had the law said don't steal. So the law shows me that I fall short of the glory of God, but the law can't help me with my sin. All the law could do was cover my sin. I needed to come to Jesus to have my sin completely taken away. So the Levitical priesthood was imperfect, but the priesthood of Melchizedek is perfect. So it goes on to say then in verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change 
of the law. Now, if you're a highlighter, an underliner, a note taker, then you'll want to underline that verse, verse 12, because it tells us something very important, something that I think every Christian needs to know in his relationship to the Old Testament law. The law has been changed. The priesthood has been changed. Before Jesus, they were under the law, but you and I are no longer under the law. Praise God. I can have a pork chop. I can enjoy shrimp. All these things were prohibited by the law. And I don't have to relate to God based upon the law. Because the law kept people at a distance from God. But now I relate to God under grace. And we walk, as the song we sing, we walk in fields of grace. And now, rather than trying to keep all the laws, there's 600 and so many laws in the Old Testament. Rather than, I got to memorize all of them. I got to know what every law is. And I got to keep that law. Now I just got to walk in love. And if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I love you like I do myself, then I fulfill all of the law and the prophets. That's all you need to know. You say, well, what do I need to know to please God? You need to love the people around you. You need to love God. How hard is that? Not very hard at all. What is the right thing for me to do in this situation? Well, let me see. What would love tell you to do? If you love that person, how would you treat them? If you loved God, how would you treat that individual? And you'll know the right thing to do because by loving God, you fulfill the law. But the law has been changed. And those people that tell you you're still under the law, the Sabbatarians, the Seventh-day Adventists, who say, no, we only were freed by part of the law. The law has been completely changed. A few years ago, there were a group of people who were Sabbatarians. It wasn't the Seventh-day Adventists. It was another group. And uh, they taught that you got to go to church on Saturday in order to really be saved because you got to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Never mind the fact that it never says in the Old Testament that you kept the Sabbath law by going to the synagogue or going to the temple. In fact, it restricted you. If you lived more than a quarter mile away, you couldn't go. So when a Sabbatarian would say to me, well, listen, you're not saved because you're not keeping the Sabbath, I would go, neither are you. How far away from your church do you live? You better live within a quarter mile of it or you're breaking the Sabbath. See, they rewrite the Sabbath law and then claim that you're not keeping it by rewriting it. But this guy came up to me after the service and he was a Sabbatarian from this group. And um, he wanted to trap me. So he said, do you keep the Ten Commandments? Now there's an obvious answer to that. And it's obvious in two ways. No, because no one really does, okay? Jesus said, if you hate a brother, your brother, you've murdered him. Which means on the roads of Tucson, I see people murdered every day. <laughs> people don't let people in. They start honking their horns. They give creative hand signals to one another. It's just a, you know, an amazing thing. But he said, do you keep the Ten Commandments? Do you believe we should keep the Ten Commandments? Now, I was like a hostile witness. When you're in a courtroom and there's a hostile witness, he doesn't want to give the lawyer or the prosecutor or the defense attorney what he wants. So he's hostile and he gives you know, answers that are sarcastic or whatever. So when he said to me, do you believe we should keep the law, the Ten Commandments? I said, no. He could have fallen over. He didn't never expected me to say no. And I said, because I have been free from the law. The law has changed. Now, in reality, yes, there's a moral code that we want to keep. Okay, that's the reality. Yes, I was lying to him. But there's a moral code in which we want to keep. All right? But not in the sense that he's talking about. Because I don't give sacrifices because Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. I don't need a Levitical priest because Jesus became my priest. I don't need to keep the Sabbath day because my Sabbath is in Jesus. He is my Sabbath, Hebrews chapter 4. All of the law is fulfilled in Jesus so that I have a relationship with him. I don't have to go back to those 10 commandments. I find everything in Jesus, okay? So the law has been changed. 
and the priesthood has been changed. That's what that verse says. Now it goes on to say here in verse 13 then, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi, so how can he be a priest? And yet, it is far more evident, verse 15, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest. So he's not in the likeness of Levi, but he's in the likeness of Melchizedek, whom has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment. Now note that he calls the law the fleshly commandment. It's because it's not the spirit that's helping you keep the law. It's will. I, I'm not going to break that commandment. It's a fleshly commandment. We now live by the spirit, being led by the spirit. They lived under the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. It is the power of Jesus living forever that we have a priest now forever. For he testifies... You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that is a quote from Psalms 110, verse 4. God giving the psalmist these words to say as a prophecy to Jesus being our priest. Verse 18, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Now, if you're a note taker, highlighter and underliner, then you want to underline that verse. Because what does it say about the commandment? For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment. What does the annulling mean? As if it never existed. There is a divorce by which there is a recognition that there was a marriage. And there is an annulment. And in an annulment, it's as if saying it never happened. We want this annulled like it never took place. We are so set free by the law. And follow this, folks, because this is amazing. We are so set free from the law that it is as if it never took place. We are not bound by the law by one part of it. It is as if we were never under it. And in reality, we have never been under it. There was a certain generation that had been under the law for a while and then were under grace. But the moment we came to Christ, we came by grace. And so the preaching of the gospel is not pointing a finger, looking around the room, you guys are all a bunch of sinning. You know, you blow it all the time. You're going to get to heaven and God's going to go, I know what you did. That's the law. But under grace, we get to heaven and God says, I don't remember your sin anymore. It's gone. So that whatever you've done, Whatever awful thing you've done, whatever horrible thing has been in your past, it is now under the blood. It is washed away. It is as white as snow. It is as white as wool. God remembers it no more. He puts it behind his back so that you now go into eternity as if you never did that. You may have regret because you can't get rid of your memory, but God completely forgets about it and interacts with you as if that never happened. And isn't that amazing? We are no longer under the law in any way, shape, or form because it has been annulled. It goes on to say in verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. It's like the mirror. The mirror makes nothing perfect. The mirror reveals to you that you need help, but you got all kinds of other stuff, right, ladies? You got things all over your bathroom that help you get to where you are right now. But the mirror uh, plays a role in it, but it can't make you perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope. Notice the word better. There's a bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. 
when they gave that sacrifice, that Levitical priest gave that sacrifice and then went in behind that veil once a year, you had a right relationship with God, but it was at a distance. It was behind the veil, as it were. But now we have a better hope by which we draw near to God. The law kept you at a distance from God. Now you and I, it's all about knowing him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you know the one true God and the son whom he sent. Jesus said, many will call me Lord, Lord, but I will say away from me for I never knew you. It's about knowing him. It's about having a relationship with him. It's about drawing near to God. We have a better hope by which we draw near to God. Then verse 20, and inasmuch as he was not made perfect without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath. When it says they become priests without an oath, it simply means that they were Levites. As a Levite, it wasn't about an oath that they, somebody giving them an oath, making them a priest. It was without an oath because they were born that way. But he with an oath, by whom it is said, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus wasn't a priest because he was born into any particular family. He was a priest because he was chosen and by an oath made a priest. And so then verse 22, through the remainder of the chapter, tells us of the superiority of this high priest that was made high priest by a law. And so the rest of the chapter tells us of Jesus being superior. It says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Note the word better. Better, a better hope. He's a better priest. He's a better high priest. He's a better hope. And he is of a better covenant. It is a far better covenant to be under grace than it is to be under law. Verse 23, also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchanging priesthood. Their priesthood changed because they died and had to have new ones. Jesus is eternal, and so he has an unchanging priesthood. Verse 25, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. In comparison, the law was imperfect, the law was weak. The law was unprofitable. We've seen all of those words used to describe the law in this chapter. Imperfect, weak, unprofitable. But Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. There's not a person here in this room that has committed any kind of sin that cannot have your sin forgiven. You may have done awful things. You may have taken advantage of people. You may have hurt people. You may, as I said earlier, have regret from what you've done. But Jesus forgives your sin if you call out to him. You might even say to me, and I've had people say this before, you don't know what I've done. Jesus can't forgive me. You're wrong. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. Do you remember the cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer? I laugh about that because that's quite a change of topic, isn't it? You guys remember the cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer? It's back in the 80s. One of his victims escaped and ran naked to the police, naked and bloody to the police. They turned around. Actually, there's, there's worse to the story because that particular guy was returned to Jeffrey Dahmer. So there's, he was drugged and had been returned to him. And, um, but there was another guy that had escaped and he brought them to Jeffrey Dahmer's home where they found a refrigerator full of human parts that he had been eating, okay? He was a cannibal. Sorry to bring that up, by the way. You guys go, I come to church and what do I hear about a cannibal? All right. Now, Jeffrey Dahmer's caught. He's thrown in prison where eventually he is beaten to death, okay? And there's a lot of cannibal jokes that I can make there, but I won't. Um, and uh, I'm driving to church 20 years ago on, on Tuesday morning to go to our staff meeting. And I'm listening to James Dobson, Focus on the Family. 
And he has a chaplain from a prison ministry who administered to Jeffrey Dahmer. And this chaplain says, I led Jeffrey Dahmer to the Lord. And I'm driving to church and I'm, I'm going, no, no. Jeffrey Dahmer didn't get saved because he's a cannibal. And people who eat people should not go to heaven. If I were making rules, the first person that I would keep out of heaven is people who eat people. People who eat people don't go to heaven. I mean, really, you go to heaven and God says, here's your mansion. It's been working on it for 2,000 years and your next door neighbor is Jeffrey Dahmer. What? I'm really glad I'm not in the flesh anymore. Otherwise, I'd be worried. And so God quietly speaks to my heart. Why can't Jeffrey Dahmer be saved? Because he ate people. That was my response to God. That's unforgivable. If any sin is the unforgivable sin, it's eating people would be an unforgivable sin. But in reality, the death of Jesus on that cross was sufficient enough to forgive Jeffrey Dahmer for all the horrible things that he did. And if Jeffrey Dahmer could be saved and go to heaven, then so can you. There is not a person here who cannot be saved because Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. The law was weak in that it could not save. It could only show you your sin. So why would you turn away from Jesus as your high priest and go to this Levitical priesthood? Why would you return back to it again? Why would you go to the weakness? Why would you go to the unprofitableness? Why would you go back to these things when you have the one who can save you to the uttermost? It goes on to say then in verse 25, those who come to God through him, since he also lives to make intercession for them, he lives to make intercession. That's what he does. It's his purpose. He lives to make intercession. Now, when we think of intercession, we think of prayer. Don't think of that when you read this. It's not intercession as in prayer. It's legal intercession. When you get arrested for a crime, you have to have representation. You have to have a guy who will intercede for you on your behalf to the court. That's the idea here. That's the word. It's the word intercession as in a lawyer, as in an advocate for you. Now, you can, you can appeal to the court to represent yourself if you want to, to intercede for yourself. But you are either one of two things. If you're going to do that, you're either really dumb because you do it, okay? The law is very complicated. You could end up in trouble by it. Or you're really, really smart and you really don't need a lawyer. Those are the only two options you've got. All the rest of us that live somewhere in the middle of those two, we need an intercessor. We need someone to intercede on our behalf because otherwise we're lost in the middle of a courtroom. And if you've ever gone to court for yourself and tried to represent yourself, and by the way, I have, uh, it's not a good thing. I, had, uh, I went to like a, just an oil place to change oil in my car. They didn't put oil in it. My car blew up down the road. I went back and told them and they go, no, we put oil in it. The dipstick was empty completely. They said, no, we did. And I ended up taking them to court. I didn't get a lawyer because I thought, oh, this is a you know, slam dunk case. I'll just go and they'll, they'll pay for my motor in my car. I lost because I, I didn't have any evidence. I brought what I brought and they go, and that's hearsay. I go, this is, this is the mechanic that they wanted to prove that it had blown up because there was no oil in it. She goes, well, it can't be admitted because the mechanic's not here. It's hearsay. I didn't know that. So I go, well, can I have a continuance so that we can get the guy here? She goes, no. And she ruled against me. You need an intercessor. That didn't really hurt me. I paid for the motor and the car and I got it fixed and lived on, okay? But when it comes to intercession in heaven, you need an intercessor. You need, and he forever lives to make intercession for you. That means that if you blow it today or tomorrow, that means if you sin out of your own weakness, you have an intercessor who lives to intercede for you in heaven. It goes on to say, then in verse 27, 
who does not need daily as those priests who offer sacrifices. First for his own sins and then for the people. Well, actually, let's go back to verse 26. How about we do that one? For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, become higher than the heavens. We have an intercessor who is higher than the heavens, who is separate from sin, who is undefiled, who is holy, and I left out this one, who's harmless. When I think of Jesus, I don't think of harmless. I think of the judge of the universe. I think of the sword that comes out of his mouth and his eyes that are afire who will judge the entire world. I think of the lamb of God that tramples the grapes and his robe is covered in blood of judgment. If you come to Jesus and you receive his work upon the cross, that Jesus who is awesome and fearful becomes harmless to you because now you belong to him. So to me, I stand before him who is awesome and terrible and terrible in the sense of being the judge of the universe and he's harmless to me he's harmless to you one day you will die unless jesus comes back for us the statistics on death are staggering one out of every one person dies and if you don't know jesus and you die today you will stand before him as the judge of the universe and he will not be harmless to you the Bible says it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But if you come through Jesus and you die today, he will be harmless to you. He will welcome you into his glory where you will go out of time and into all of eternity. He then goes on to say in verse 27, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. And then verse 28 is a summary verse of all summary verses. It sums up the entire passage from verse 1 all the way through. It says, For the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses. But the word of an oath, which was Psalms 110 verse 4, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. If the law appoints men of weaknesses, but God through an oath appointed a high priest that was perfect forever, why would you leave this high priest and go back to the priesthood? Why would you leave grace to go back under the law? Why would you leave a relationship to go back to religion? Why would you leave knowing him to go back to, I'm going to church and I'm going through the motions? We now have Jesus and we don't want anything to stand in the way because he has saved us to the uttermost because our sins are completely forgiven, because the law is weak and can't save us, but Jesus can completely. And for these guys, they were going back to the weaker thing. And the writer of Hebrews is appealing to them to turn from that. And for us, we want to make sure we stay in a close relationship with the one who has saved us to the uttermost. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray. Father, we are truly blessed by your word. It is rich, and we have a good understanding of a better high priest. We have one who is powerful, complete, who is perfect, who can help to the uttermost. Lord, we want to come before you and thank you that our sins have been forgiven, that they are remembered no more. We pray that we would rejoice in that and live in that knowing that we stand before you as a new creation, all of our sin being taken away. 
We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kgun 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.